Did you want to about the Zuby Caroline? She hates the bad thing. I got a two and a half story wood occupied both of them while I got heavy fire. The second floor, Charlie died. I have an exposure on the Delta Nine. We have low line stretch, non operating you know, primary searches are underway. Status of the fire, down close. What is happening? Man, I'm on a third flight. We have my two all right, we're back. Uh, this is episode three. A lot of changes. Obviously, as you may or may have not noticed, we now have a logo. Uh, we have a theme intro. So we have a lot going on as far as uh, progress with the show. Uh, this is the third episode. So episode number three, I figure episode number one, we kind of did the, I guess you'd say the who intro episode two we did the where um you know derby and and my system and how we volunteer here and now we're on the episode three and i kind of want to call this one the why and what i mean by the why is why are we doing this why do i feel this is important why why are we here basically and i uh i'm excited let's let's uh get through this episode so a couple of notes next episode episode four is going to be our first guest appearance so that's another thrilling avenue, which we're going down in the podcast realm. So for this episode, like I said, let, let's talk why. Like, why am I here? Why do I feel this is important? And uh, I'm going to bounce back and forth between being chief in, in two different organizations. So as I mentioned in the earlier show, I was the chief of the Storm Ambulance in Derby, which is that provides all EMS and rescue to the city. Then I was the fire chief and the assistant fire chief. I, I became the assistant chief in the ambulance corps at a much younger age. Uh, I actually became assistant chief in 2006, and I did about six years as the assistant chief, then a few years as the, the head chief before becoming assistant fire chief. And I, I really now, I, I hate to say I regret my time as the ambulance chief because I, I wasn't ready. I, I definitely, you know, I was way too young, way too naive. You know, we all I wanted to do was argue and fight with everybody and and kind of wave the flag that we were better. And, and I regret that now because I think I, I spent a lot of time, you know, keeping the organization, I, I think, back as I look back because we could have probably evolved. We could have made some better decisions to move forward, but just kind of too, too young and, and too naive to think that far ahead. But also, it, you know, the old saying, right, you don't know what you don't know. I, we didn't know, and I, I feel like if I had the chance, if I was due to do the ambulance thing again and be chief of the ambulance corps, rather than looking a month or two down the road, I would look a year or two down the road. And I think that's something that kind of comes with age, right? We, we were all young. We all, you know I, know, I know there's a great meme of the Incredible Hulk tearing apart a city, and it's like, you know, 90s firefighters back in the day, and then you see the Incredible Hulk with uh, the glasses and Endgame, and it's like that same firefighter now trying to tell you how you're delinquent in your target hazards. That, that's how we were, though, right? When we were young, we were a lot more crotchety. We were older. We have you know more wisdom, a little longer in the tooth. So we we kind of plan things differently. So I I kind of took that as a stepping stone. So so finishing my tenure as chief in the ambulance corps, preparing to to jump to the fire department side of things. I feel like that was something that I I evolved, if you will. And and the other thing was, when you were running the ambulance corps, you had a little bit of a shield, right? I can keep making Avenger analogies all day. You had that shield. Uh, you, as much as you were the ambulance corps, and you still, you know, you guys ran the operations. 
uh, technical rescue operations, EMS operations, the fire chief is always kind of above you. You have a little bit of insulation from the the actual level of command. Because obviously in a unified command the, the in Connecticut, the fire chief is in charge and it trickles on down. So even though we were running operations, you still had that insulation, that layer of we weren't overall in charge. Now that I'm the fire chief, that's the assistant assistant fire chief at the time, that's totally different. Because now, you know, the buck stops here. There's nobody I hate to say to, to to drop the blame on, but there's nobody to to insulate you. The decisions that were made, the, the the roads that you went down, you were left to your own consequence. So I think that was definitely uh, kind of an eye-opener, and it was something that I, I thought about a lot because I, I didn't know how to prepare for that. I mean, think about most volunteer departments. What training do you get besides, I hate to say, state certifications, right? Like we all took officer one, officer two, and it, it prepared you for different levels. But what training do we really give our volunteer officers to separate them from the, the firefighters? Most training in the volunteer organizations is designed to be, you know, task orientated, right? We're stretching lines, we're throwing ground ladders, we're, you know, we're doing stuff like that. We're building rope systems. But how much command training do we do? How much, uh, you know, command and control training do we do? How much officer training do we do? You know, when I, I do my presentation, we as much as it's all incident-based, I have a couple slides that I, I bring in the, you know, the what sinks most ships in the volunteer world, in, in, and even in the career world, is HR, right? Personnel management. And, I mean, we do basically no training for HR side of things. I mean, we, we do our required, you know, bare minimum training that's usually like a video or a Sunday morning that, that everybody's kind of ducking in and out on. But... You know, what What do you do when a member comes in and tells you another member assaulted them? What do you do when you find out that, you know, the cops are looking for one of your guys and they think he's at a firehouse? Like, th- these are, are different level questions. And, and, you know, not to get away from the incident stuff, but that's kind of the stuff that'll trip you up. You know, there's, right, we always say in the fire service, sometimes the fire is the easiest part. And it is true, especially in, in leadership roles. Fires are kind of e- easier most of the time than, than what you could run into on the administrative side. But I started trying to prepare myself. So, you know, I, I joke. The first thing I did is I went on Microsoft Publisher and I made myself a, a tactical worksheet, right? I made a little tactical worksheet. I printed it out. I went to Staples. I had to put on a nice heavy card stock, spared no expense, and uh, put it in a clipboard in my car. Put a couple of reference materials in there too, like the NIASH guide, the OSHA shoring guide, a couple of other like uh, checklists, things like that, that I thought I might need. Uh, I actually got one of those little bins at Staples, like those little plastic bins to put, copy the SOPs, um, random paperwork, if you will, that the department ran off of just in case I, I needed it while we were on a scene or when we were on a call. A couple of pens and pencils, some dry erase markers, and bam, that was it. You know, we don't have a command board. Uh, every chief doesn't have one because we, you know, different systems, right? We still respond in our personal vehicles. So I was like, first of all, they're ridiculously expensive for they're huge, they're expensive, and, and where do you put that in the back of your family car? Bad enough you got gear back there, bad enough you got stuff like that. Now you want the command board. So we only have one command board. It's in the back of the chief's vehicle, and, and it becomes a problem if the chief's out of town or the chief's at work in his you know, day job. We don't have a command board. We rely on a neighboring town. So you know, I, I wanted something that I could make, that I can carry in a clipboard, so if I had to run an incident, I could do it. And I, I made them for different incidents. You know, I made one for a technical rescue, one for a hazmat, one for a structure fire, right? The three kind of, you know, big ones that we'd have to respond to. Um, 
and they they work great. They were simple. I've I've shared them. The the, the you know the, my replacement still uses them. Uh, so I I know I consider it a raving success that the checklist I made at ten o'clock on a random night on uh, on a whim is still in use. But that was it. You know, looking back, the the best training we ever gave an upcoming chief in Derby was uh, we have that awkward period where you take the test in mid-November, but you're not chief till January. And the beginning of December, we had a, a, a downtown derbies being revitalized. We have 15 acres basically leveled. Uh, it looks like they're testing missiles. And in the middle of it was an, an old 1800s warehouse, right? It was actually used to, to make uniforms during the Civil War. And, uh, you know, four or five story, heavy timber construction, it goes up one night. And we had just had the chief's test. So it worked out. We actually let the incoming chief, assistant chief, run the fire because it was a four-story heavy timber construction that was well involved that no one was going in in the middle of 15 acres with nothing around it. So there were no exposures, no nothing. So even if we didn't show up that night, you know, the the, situa- the end result would have been the same, right? The fire, the building was going to burn to the ground whether we were there or not. So we figured let's let, you know, the new assistant chief run the fire. And that was probably the most training that we've ever offered any officer prior to, especially the chiefs, prior to, you know, assuming the, the, the title. So I started uh, basically working on this this program and I started thinking about uh, ways to, to, you know, improve the department. And one of the things that I, I stole from my career job was we were doing some heavy officer training, right? So our chief at the time, Chief Thode, uh was tremendous with a lot of that stuff. And he, he brought in a lot of outside speakers to do officer training and chief level training. And I, I said, boy, that makes sense. You know? So we, we hired uh, some of the same guys, right? We hired them um, to come up and we did like a whole weekend incident command program. We did some hand, a lot of hands-on stuff and it, it worked very well. And you know, the, the amazing thing was uh, shortly after that, we actually had an ocean inspection and it was like a, a complaint about gear that was unfounded and that, you know, for those of us who are in Connecticut, right, you have the dreaded OSHA form, and it's the checklist that OSHA uses when they come into a fire department. And they, um, one of the things on there is your officer training. And it wants to know all your officers, how many of them there are, what you have any, you know, uh, criteria, what level training, and do you do additional training? And fortunately, we had just done 16 hours of additional training, um, you know, a couple of months earlier. So it was kind of like, luckily, we were like, oh, thank God we didn't have to worry about that. But Moving forward, I said, we, we need to keep the training for the officers and the chiefs up. And, you know, we were able to do that in different ways. We COVID hit, so write that through, everybody right out the door. So uh, we purchased a, an online platform during COVID where we were able to make different tracks. And uh, I, I liked it. I, I hate, hate, hate to say we checked the box with it. But during COVID, it was what we had to do. So I was able to make a, a track, right, for, for interior firefighter, for line officer, for chief officer, for driver only, for exterior only, right, all the levels we have in the volunteer department, and assign it to everybody so that it, it calculated the hours based on those tracks. And uh, again, right after COVID, we, we've had a lot of OSHA inspections in, uh, in my tenure, and in the eight years I was chief, we had five OSHA visits, and uh, one of them was because of a photo they saw on social media. They came on their own. One of them was from a complaint made by a member. Uh, two of them were random. We, they, you know, according to them, they randomly, I'm air quoting for those who can't see me, they randomly selected us. 
And uh, with those OSHA visits, you know, I, I was able to show them, especially I think they came right after COVID too. It was kind of like, are you kidding me? Uh, they they came in the fall of 2020 and they wanted to know about fit testing. And we were like, we haven't fit tested anyone this year because of COVID. Like we, we were told not to. And, uh, you know, it kind of just, it was one of those things. It was like, it was like just getting kicked when you were down. And it's like, we just finished COVID, you know, we were kind of coming out of it and here comes OSHA. And they're like, oh, we want to see all your training hours. You know, you're, so I was like, okay. I said, uh, you're in luck. We bought this program. I hit print. And it ended up printing out, you know, like 187 pages of training documents, which was great, right? Because you walked into the meeting with the ocean inspector and it was like, you know, you had that giant thick file and you were like, here you go. And uh, that, that was the end of it. They never asked us another question about it. We, uh, you know, we were able to, to kind of, uh, I don't want to say got lucky because we, we wanted to do it. We just had to adapt with COVID. But we were able to provide the officers training. And, and I'll tell you, I... I had some officers, and I'm going to actually bring some of them on the show coming up in the next couple of weeks, who, when they first became officers, I actually had officers that I told them that I, I wasn't allowing them to take command because I, I, they had no training. They were, you know, way too young, way too inexperienced. And, it, and I told them that they're the only, their only, you know, path to, to, to compliance was training. And, you know, I had one of them that did it. He, he you know, stuck with it, became a, a great officer. So it, it, it works. The hardest part is how do you do that training, right? How do you, because now in the volunteer world, how do you keep that training in those hours in addition to what we said earlier, right? You got to stretch lines. You got to, you know, th uh, throw ladders. You got to do all that. And then you got to train your guys on, on, you know, simple things like size up and, and initial tactics, company operations, uh, SOPs. You know, something we did at every one of our, uh, we had monthly officer meetings, so we called it Starfleet Command. So, uh, we, you know, we would always be like, oh, yeah, Starfleet tonight. Just review an SOP. You know, even if, if you sit down and you review an SOP with everybody, it's still, it's it's officer training. Uh, and again, back to the whole, I hate to say check the box, but if you're doing 12 officer meetings a year, and at every meeting you're reviewing an SOP, you know, that, that's 12 extra hours of officer training right there without really much difficulty. I just wish, you know, I had a lot of great chiefs before me, but like most volunteer departments, when a, a chief goes out the door, they're, they vanish, right? They've, they've been to the circus. They've, they've seen what, you know, the show. So they kind of take a backseat role, but I, I didn't reach out to them enough, which is another, I'd say, mistake I made was that I, I, you know, ironically, one of them was my, you know, my immediate past chief was my brother I, i'm sitting next to him at family dinners and and you know obviously you're not going to talk shop at those things but I, I just feel like i that's another mistake i would i made and if i if i was to do it again or if you were you know soliciting advice i'm becoming a chief officer in a volunteer department sit down with the past chiefs find out what they did wrong find out what they did right and that's a, a great way to, to to kind of prepare yourself for these roles the other way to prepare yourself for these roles is to surround yourself with the right people at an incident. Uh, you know, I, we had a chief in our town, very, uh, you know, I don't want to say he was, he was a little unsure of himself, I would say. But at every incident, if, if it was a technical rescue, if it was a hazmat, if it was something a little bit out of the ordinary, he would, you know, he would know to grab one of the senior members, one of the older members, one of them, you know, in that discipline and, and kind of say, hey, just stay right with me, right? And it, it, to me, saying you don't know something and bringing somebody up 
to to help you manage it is a lot better than trying to fudge your way through it. And I think we'd all agree on that. And, you know, as incident commanders, sometimes we're managing the incident. You have a command system for a reason, right? You have operations officers, you have people running the incident. You know, I, I may not know that discipline very well, but I know how to run the incident and the people I put in charge of running the discipline know how to discipline them, uh, how to run the discipline. So that, that's the beauty of the command system. I always say you, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know who knows what, right? Knowing your people is probably the, the best way to get through being a chief. Uh, there's a lot of other ways. You know, the, the internet is obviously a great place. There's plenty of books out there. You know, I read a few leadership books, tried to, uh, obviously, if you could tell from the clock behind me, I'm, you know, most people know I'm a, a fan of Disney. I read Bob Iger's book. Um, for our promotional exams, we had to read different uh, leadership. It's your ship was one of them, you know, and different leadership styles of, of how it is. But, you know, the, the biggest thing is, is set your course and sail it, right? Don't, don't keep changing your mind. Don't keep going back on things. You know, my, my people knew my expectations and I, you know, we did the whole sit down and have meetings and talk about what I wanted from them and what I expected from them. They knew my pet peeves, right? That was one thing I made sure to tell them right up front. I am there. There's a few things that, that, you know, make me mad uh, instantly in the fire service. You know, social media is a big one. Uh, group photos or, or selfies after an incident. Uh, I, you know, and, and I told them right in front, look, these are things that are not going to win favor with me and, and they're not happening. And, uh, right. It, it was a, a big, big thing. I mean, most of my time as chief, the issues that I had were social media related, right? Like, like most of us nowadays, it was people, you know, making a dumb comment, writing a dumb comment, posting a dumb picture, and it would get somebody mad. And that, that was kind of the, the, the most common of our disciplinary issues, but you know, sit down, give them those expectations. If they know what not to do, you know, a lot of times they're not going to do it. And know, know your strengths and weaknesses of your people. It's okay to, you know, you have to understand when you're ranking your people, You right? You have your A players, your B players, your C players, and then you have players that you shouldn't even put on the field. And sometimes when you, you get an incident, the player that shouldn't be on the field is right there asking what to do. And I, I hate to say that's a hold the clipboard, moment but there are times where you come up with tasks for to get them out of the game because it's probably safer if they're not you know in the game than if they're on the sidelines right a lot of analogies i know i'm sorry uh, but that that's why we're here i i just feel that in the the volunteer side of things we've forgotten the importance of incident command and, and officer training and it, the reason is very simple why we're too busy training the members and, and less worried about training ourselves. And, and it's not a bad thing, right? It's not bad. It's it's a good thing, right? We're, we're put in charge. We understand the gravity of the situations that we're put in charge of. We understand the responsibility. So our focus now becomes to making sure that they, below us, are trained, they're ready, they're able, they're equipped. And then that puts, you know, your level way in the back. So, I think that's one of the reasons why I feel so passionate about this is that I I think because I felt underprepared and, and kind of wrong it, I didn't want anybody coming after me to, to feel that way. So we were able to sit down with a lot of the newer chiefs coming in. We were able to, I, I mean, give them scenarios, give them, you know, uh, online programs, give them YouTube videos and have them prepare, you know, for 
their role coming in as a chief officer. And you can do that as a company officer. You can do that as a firefighter. Uh, use the, the resources, you know, that are out there nowadays to, to prepare yourself for the role you're about to take. So that's kind of, like I said, that's why we're here, right? Make it better than we left it. Again, we're nailing the analogies tonight. Uh, but that's my thought, my philosophy. As always, I hope you enjoyed our quick ride to work, as I like to say, 20 minutes, good time. Uh, what's coming up? So obviously we got the art, we got the graphics. Don't forget to like and follow us on social media. It's the volley underscore chief uh, on Instagram, Facebook. We're, we're here on uh, the, you know, the streaming platform. So like the podcast, comment, uh, subscribe. Again, anybody wants to be on. I'm open. I'm not. It's one of the things I feel like there's a lot of people, they want to say something. By all means, fire us an email. It's thevolleychief at gmail.com. And uh, I'll gladly have you on. I mean, it doesn't doesn't bother me. If you want to come on, you want to talk about something, if you have a comment about something we want to say or you want to hear us talk about something, shoot us the email. So that's it for tonight. I guess uh, I got to go out with, I got to invent an outro. That's going to be my next, like, uh, my next goal is to get an outro, but next episode coming Tuesday, our first guest speaker, uh, it's not a, uh, you know, draw dropping celebrity guest speaker, but it's kind of why I'm here and, and how I got into the, the training program. So I thought he'd be a perfect person to be on. So stay tuned to the next episode. Thank you. As always, this is David Leonard, the Volley Chief, and uh, we'll see you at the big one.